The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out right here, a grand slam home run, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition, another Monday night of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Glad to have you along tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell. And tonight we kick back and talk about the first place Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And to do that, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. But Mark, I guess the question is right now, are the Indians in first place or are the Reds? Because the Reds are playing better as a baseball team right now than the first place Indians are. Well, I noticed that you said the first place Cleveland Indians and you said, and the Cincinnati Reds. I, I thought that was nice because you did not I have to say enjoy it. You, you did not say fifth place Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so I, I want to thank you for that. But Dave, you're thing, welcome. Things change. You know, a year from now, two years from now, it could all be turned around. And then I would say first place Reds, and you would say last place Chicago, or, uh, Cleveland Indians. So it can happen, Dave. Yes. Yes, but I always introduce the show, so yeah, I've got, You've got top there. billing. Yeah, you do. Okay. <laughs> I give up. You win. You know, Dan Straley, he has been quite a find for the Cincinnati Reds, Mark. He has really pitched some outstanding baseball lately. He really has. And, you know, he's got the kind of stuff that you can rely on over a long period of time. He, he's not overpowering. He doesn't lose uh, – he's not going to lose velocity over the years to the point that would hurt him. He reminds me of Maddox and Glavin, that kind of that kind of approach to the plate. Uh, nothing is straight. I mean, his changeup breaks uh, as much as his curveball, and he's awfully hard to square. That's uh, As a hitter, I used to hate that. I, I didn't mind the guy throwing 90-95 uh, if it was straight <clears throat> because eventually you'll catch up with it. Uh, but it's the guy that you, you you can't you can't really dig in on him because you, you're either lunging or you're pr- protecting the inside corner of the plate, and that's the kind of guy you. It's called a comfortable 0 for four. You go up there, you're on deck saying, "Yeah, I can I can get hold of this guy," and then you go up there and you, dang, I just grounded out the shortstop for the fourth time. <laughs> you know, it's it's, uh, it's frustrating to have that kind of uh, guy as a when, you, when you're facing, uh, so I'd rather, I'd rather face a guy who throws really hard than a guy like that. But he, he's got good control, and uh, he, he was a good pickup for the Reds. But the reason I ask about the which team is in first place, Mark, because if you look at it, the Indians have gone five and five in their last ten. They're holding on to a two-game lead in the American League Central. Three weeks ago, it was seven and a half games over Detroit, but Detroit has really picked up their speed going 8 and 2 over the last 10 games. The Indians 62 and 47, but the Reds on the other hand, Mark, they've been playing the best baseball of anybody 
almost anybody since the All-Star break. They've won six of their last ten. And even though they're five and a half games behind Milwaukee, they've got Milwaukee this weekend. I would think that probably one of the Reds' goals is to finish outside of the basement and ahead of Milwaukee. And they could. They've got. Uh, I think they've got eight or ten more games with Milwaukee before the end of the year. So they can they can certainly catch them. And uh, it doesn't mean they're better than Milwaukee. On the other hand, uh, we can get into it a little later today, but uh, I was going over the Reds' uh, top 30 prospects. And uh, the Reds do have some arms down there, and they've got some guys now that have some talent. And the question, not the question, the problem is it could take three to four years for that talent to rise to the major league level. And that's going to be an awfully long time to wait before between drinks of water for Reds fans. So um, we can get into that a little later. Well, Nick Senzel, let's yep. talk about him right off the top, the, the first rounder for the Reds this year. And he was named to the Major League Baseball Pipeline team for the week after he hit three home runs in six games for Class A Dayton. That's right in your backyard, Mark. Have you had an opportunity to see him? And if so, what does he look like? Is he really as as good as he's being billed? Yeah, he, he is. Uh, and and not because necessarily he's a third baseman, but I'll say this uh, in all due respect. He seems he plays like he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he reminds me of Scott Rowland. Uh, I think he's going to really he, – he'll grow physically, certainly, uh, but he's he's got a lot of power. The thing I notice most about him, his bat, it is incredibly quick. And and I've not seen someone like that. He can, and for fans who maybe not know the technicalities of it, when you have a quick bat, you can wait an extra tenth of a second or two tenths of a second, which if your hitter is huge, you can let the ball get deep to you before you commit to it. That gives you a better opportunity to see what that pitch is. And his bat is as quick as I have seen with power for a long time. A lot of guys who swing hard, they've got to gather that power. <clears throat> in other words, it's like when you go up for a rebound in basketball. You, you've got you've to gather your body and push it upward. This guy can wait for the last split second and, and still deliver a lot of power to the ball. And uh, I, I think that's going to make him a really tough out over the, over the course of the next several years where this guy, he's already hitting, Last I saw, he was hitting 330 in Dayton, and he's got he's got a quick bat, and he's good defensively. So I think he was a very good draft pick, and you team him up with uh, with um, let me see here. I'm, I'm looking at the Reds since you brought it up. I'll just digress to that now. Je- Jesse Winker, uh, he's another guy. I can see those two guys. Being in the Reds uh, starting lineup for a number of years to come, and then you have to figure out where, where you fill in the pitching. But with Robert Stevenson, hopefully Cody Reed's going to be able to turn it around. But the other guy that I like is Amir Garrett. I don't know if you've seen him throw yet. No, I haven't. Man, he is a scary left-hander. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's left-handed. He's getting stronger. And I think the Reds have a real, a real all-star with him. And you know, you look at what this could be in the next couple of years. It's all a matter of time, Dave. 
it, it happens with every organization, I guess, that go through this kind of thing. But the Reds have a chance to be competitive, if not next year, certainly in 2018. That, that team should be uh, a competitor with the Cubs for the division. Next year will be a transition year, but uh, there's some talent down there. Are the Reds making a case, before we transfer over to the Indians, are the Reds making a case to keep Brian Price as manager next year? Well, I think he's making the case for it. Uh, if he can get them through, it'll be a big gold star for him if he can get a team. Oh, let's not bring up gold star. <laughs> not after the past week. Please, Mark. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, if they can put him, if he can keep that team above 500 in the second half of the year, after what they went through in the first half, and you're right, I think they're what 13 and eight. I think since the All Star break, they won six out of seven series. They should have won seven out of seven. They blew a game on Friday night, but um, if they can if they can finish over 500, uh, that I think would be the reason that the Reds would opt to keep Brian Price. And if you know he's he's done, you could have said then you've done a good job. The team didn't give up on you. And now better things are going to be coming. So um, I think the the onus is not for the Reds organization to make a decision. It's for Brian Price to prove that he can keep this team out of the cellar. I mean, fourth place would be terrific, and a winning record in the second half. I think he'll be back. Mark, the Indians are in a dilemma. And, you know, the the most famous axiom about trades are some of the best trades that are made are the ones that were never made. And this Jonathan Lucroy trade that the Indians tried to pull off included a catcher from single A named Francisco Mejia. Well, Mejia has hit in 40 str- 47 straight games, Mark. Now, I'm not sure what he did yesterday. I can't find anything as of right now as to what he did yesterday. But 47 straight games. This kid's 20 years old. He's playing in single A. Could be up at double A anytime soon. But I bring that up for this very reason. The Indians catchers this year, Mark, in Perez and Chris Jimenez and Jan Gomes, are hitting a combined, this is a combined, Mark, 175 for the season. Perez is hitting less than 100. Jimenez is, he's getting, if you want to bring up the gold star, Jimenez has got the gold star. He's hitting 203. And Gomes, before he went down to his injury, was batting 160. Mark, there's some clamoring right now that what could Mejia do that is any worse than the three that they've got up at the major league level Right now, I know this is a crazy question to ask, but I'm full of crazy questions tonight. What would it hurt for the Indians to bring this kid up, put him at number nine in the batting order? He can't hit any worse, Mark, than 160, can he? That's not the point, Dave. And let me say this: that's crazy. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. In my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if if it were another position player, don't, don't forget that the biggest jump in professional baseball, is from single A to double A. That's where most guys get their their bus ticket at home. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's right. It's a huge jump from single to double A, mainly because as you move up, you're playing against older players. Sometimes if you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you've been playing against guys your age or younger, but then you move up 
and now you're playing against 22, 23, 24-year-olds, and you're playing against men, not boys. And and there's not a, you've seen many cases. There's been a jump from Double A to the major leagues. That's not that's not terribly far fetched. recent, to yeah, that. yeah. Especially with the Indians, the most recent was CC Sabathia a few years ago, and Jarrett Wright back in '97. Well, it happens. It happens not infrequently, but it happens. But don't forget, this guy is a catcher, and that I think that's far more uh, problematic for him to go into the major leagues. And catch, you know, a 30, 35 year old pitcher, uh, who he has no experience with and he's got to call games. Catching is the most difficult position in baseball. So I, I don't think, uh, that he could hit 400, but in the minor leagues, they're not going to bring him up as a catcher. He needs more experience. He needs to, to work with more professional players, uh, um, get their trust and confidence before they're putting behind the plate. So I think that's a very long shot. Uh, but what I don't understand is why you couldn't pick up a catcher on waivers, or, or make a, a you know a waiver deal for a catcher to at least give you some kind of potent bat behind the plate. Uh, that I don't understand why they why they haven't haven't done that. I know they tried to get McCroy, but there are other people out there that they could have gotten other catchers, and so that that's surprising. Uh, and it, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a dead issue. I think they still might do that. Well, I know there's a lot of talk about Kurt Suzuki out of Minnesota. He's a good catcher. He's a very good catcher, very good arm, and he's a respectable hitter. Uh, so that may be one of the catchers that the Indians are going for. But, you know, Mark, in this year of the political realm, there comes a time where probably shutting your mouth is the best thing that you can do. And Jonathan Lucroy maybe should take, some notes from some of our political leaders so far this year, Mark, because Lucroy tried to explain his way out of not going to Cleveland. And to be honest, Mark, you know, we talked about this last week. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But he said that the Indians just would not guarantee him a starting spot on the team next year. Now, frankly, Mark, if he would have just come out and said, I don't want to come to Cleveland, that would have been a lot more understandable than the fact that the Indians wouldn't guarantee him a starting spot next year when they're probably not going to sign Carlos Santana and Jan Gomes hit 160 last year. Come on, Jonathan, do you have a brain on your in your head? What, what's going on here? What's the deal? You know, he would have been better off just saying, I don't want to go to Cleveland and just leaving it at that. Yeah, that sounds like he's kind of a wuss. He's afraid to compete. Uh, now maybe he was afraid they might go out and get and trade for another catcher. I, I don't know how much time he's got left on his contract. A year. Uh, okay. Next year. That's it. Okay. Well, that's it's not inconceivable that the Indians would go out and look for another catcher, given the performance of the catchers this year. But uh, you know, you're right. He probably could have said a hundred things different than he did. That wouldn't have made him look like a, a wussy boy afraid to compete. But uh, you know, that's water over the dam, so uh, I think the Indians, they did fine at the trade deadline. I think they've got, that team is better now than it was. They're having a rough patch now, but, uh, you know, that's that's the team that I, I think is the team to beat in the American League. I, honestly, God, if I was going to put, you know, a hundred grand on a bet, <laughs> I'd, pick, I'd still pick the Indians. So, um, not that they're going to have an easy run of it with Detroit. And I, I didn't look at the schedule today, but I would venture to say they must have at least eight or ten games left with Detroit this year. 
Uh, there, yeah, there's about seven games left with Detroit. But, Mark, th- this is another crazy thing. But I, I know some people up in Cleveland right now that since they've lost that seven-and-a-half game lead and it's now two, they're calling in radio stations and they're ready to jump off the Freudy Bridge uh, because the Indians are falling into the abyss, according to them. I'm not all that worried. Should I be? Yeah. I think you should. To, to win the division, I'd be worried. Uh, I think the playoffs are pretty much a lead pipe cinch. But the, uh, you know, with Detroit playing the way they are, and you, know, you get a team like that, they get a lot of veterans on that team, and they've got good pitching when it's, when it's healthy. They would scare me. <laughs> Detroit would scare me. Uh, and I don't think Kansas City has got a run in them this year. Yeah, so they're it, done. Yeah, I think they're toast. And, of course, Minnesota's out of it. Uh, White Sox. White uh, Sox are 10 back. Yeah, they're 10 back. They're, they're done. So the only team you got to beat is Detroit. Now, if, if Cleveland can just split those remaining games or win three or four of those games, it's going to be tough for Detroit. But, Dave, we're only in August, and there's a lot of baseball to be played yet. And, I mean, Detroit could come in, <clears throat> if they were to sweep Cleveland in a three- or four-game series, uh, you know, it's going to be tough for Cleveland to overcome that same token, if Indians sweep and they can with that pitching staff, it's over. So I think there's a lot of excitement to be had between now and the end of September, but I think Cleveland fans are going to be in the playoffs one way or the other. The thing about, I'll tell you, Andrew Miller adds a new facet uh, to this ball club that they have not had before. The other day when they played Minnesota, and, you know, Mark, you and I talked about this before we went on the air. What happened with the Indians against Minnesota? Well, the fact is is that Minnesota went to the plate with the game plan that they were going to swing at the first pitch. And it showed in the New York series this weekend when the Yankees took two out of three. Minnesota took three out of four from the Indians. The Yankees took two out of three by following the same game plan that Minnesota had of going after the first pitch. And you know that had to be the game plan, Mark, because the Yankees never go after the first pitch. Never. They are probably, them and Boston are two of the teams, Mark, as you would probably say, that take as many pitches as anybody in Major League Baseball. And they jumped right on the first pitch against the Indians pitching staff. But Minnesota really hammered the ball against the Indians during that four-game set. But Andrew Miller actually came in and pitched the sixth inning in that game Thursday, Mark, that the Indians knew they had to win. Came in and pitched the sixth inning, got the first out of the seventh. They brought in Brian Shaw and then brought in the the rest of the bullpen to nail down the victory in that game. Andrew Miller just gives them an entirely new facet, new a, a new view of their bullpen entirely. Yeah, I'm glad Francona is doing that. I think it's so ridiculous that managers don't manage to the the conditions of the game. If, if let's say the Twins had the bases loaded and you needed a strikeout uh, and you wanted to bring in your your normal sixth inning guy, well, the chances are you're not going to get the strikeout. That you could lose the game in the sixth inning. Why not bring in your your hammer, shut down the the, the other team, and have a chance to win the game? So I think. Baseball managers are so tied into what is the current trend. And at, at one time, you know, the, the, the bullpen, your quote-unquote closer, could pitch anywhere from two to three innings. And that 
that went away. Remember when Sparky Lyle and those guys started coming in and being the first closers? Uh, that that changed baseball, and everybody got on the bandwagon. And so it, it's they follow tradition, and there's not a lot of uh, innovators in terms of baseball management. And that's why you know Billy Ball was so. Uh, interesting to me is this guy took a different approach to baseball but you don't see that a lot in baseball mark i, I know you can go back and and look at the annals of baseball and things have changed almost decade by decade but you know you bring up goose gossage uh sparky lyle uh raleigh fingers with oakland lee smith was really the first closer mark lee smith was that you didn't have to pitch three innings remember the the guy's fingers gossage uh, Sparky Lyle, they all had to pitch three innings to get a save. That's you right. You had to pitch from the seventh inning on, and, and Lee Smith was the first guy that really developed the one-inning save. That's that's true, and, and don't forget Bruce Suter. He was another yes. guy who uh, really changed baseball because he did it without a fastball. Uh, he had that split finger, and he really he changed baseball a lot, too. The bullpen has probably been the most innovative part of baseball because it has changed it so dramatically. And I think it's painted some managers into a corner. I mean, there were times I would go crazy with the Reds uh, that they'd have a one-run lead in the eighth inning and they'd bring in um, Hoover as opposed to Chapman. And I, what? What are you doing? This is the game. It's right here. It's not going to be the ninth inning. This is the game. You bring in Chapman. And he wouldn't, and of course Hoover would give up a grand slam. And by the way, just we're talking about the bullpen. I'm going to throw out a number to you. I think you're going to find, like I'm making it up. It's it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> the Reds bullpen has given up home runs to the leadoff batter this year. How many times? Oh, I, I have no idea on that mark, but I know it has to be worse before the All-Star break than it has been after? 25 times. Wow. 25 times a reliever has come in, and the first hitter he has faced has hit a home run. That's that's 25 games, obviously. 25 times. Well, they've only played, what, 100 games? 25% of the time when they come in, they give up a home run to the first hitter. Not a home run later in the inning, which they've done many times as well, but to the very, very first hitter. And, and Ross Ohlendorf here tonight, the Reds tie the game in the ninth inning in Pittsburgh, and the announcer no more gets the thing out of his mouth. By the way, the Reds have given up 24 home runs to the first batter they face their bullpen. Hope it doesn't happen tonight. Smack. Gone. Ball game. I, to me, there's something wrong. You talk about adjustments. They probably were told... Okay, you're in the bullpen. Get ahead of the hitter. Well, what are they? What are the hitters doing? They're swinging at the first pitch. And, and, and apparently, the bullpen has not got the message. Okay, don't come in there uh, w- with your first pitch w- w- with the fastball. Come in with a breaking ball. So, you, so you, you mess up the timing of the hitter. That, that's one of the more unbelievable statistics I've ever heard. Maybe it's happened before. I've never heard of that happening, but 25 times. No, I, I agree. That That is almost – do you have the stat there in front of you as to how many home runs the bullpen has given up as a total this year? I don't. Uh, all I know is it's a lot. And <laughs> they, they have probably I – I bet they've given up 
50, 60 home runs as a bullpen. And the first half of the season, they had the worst bullpen of all time. ERA was over seven for half the year. And that, that's, that's hard to believe. I mean, these are supposed, supposed to be pitchers who have major league talent. And, and <laughs> Castellini had the understatement of the year. He said, well, yeah, we, it's probably my fault. We didn't spend enough money on our, on our bullpen this year. You think? Yeah, you think, well, what, what gives you that hint, Walt, that you have the worst bullpen of all time? And this is the guy that's running the organization, Mark. This is the guy that you expect to keep every facet of the team in the forefront of his mind to improve during the offseason and every single day, Mark. You would think he would wake up in the morning and say, what can I do to improve the team today? And the bullpen never came into his mind? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I think they, they envisioned having some of their starters, maybe some of the guys from Kansas City, Reed and Finnegan or somebody, being stepping up and being bigger roles in the bullpen. But when Rossiel Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen got hurt in spring training and Homer Bailey was not back, uh, all their the five-man starting rotation wasn't to be had. So they had to bring those guys, they penciled in for the bullpen, into the starting rotation. Finnegan, a perfect example. I'm sure they had him penciled in in the bullpen. And I think he'd have been effective because he, he had that role in Kansas City and did very well. <clears throat> but they had to move him up to the starting rotation, and there was nobody to backfill. But, you know, middle relievers are not that hard to find. I mean, they're, they're not expensive. But why wouldn't you have some kind of backup? And there was just nothing in the minors. And so the Reds brought up guys that should have been in double A or single A, brought them into the big leagues, and guess what happens? They get hammered. They totally imploded. That's right. Mark, I mean, I, I want to look at this bullpen scenario. Well, the, the starting pitching for the Reds, really, because Straley's 32 years old. He's probably not maybe another year or two with the Reds as part of their plans, although I don't know what his contract situation is. I would guess since they brought him in during the offseason, he's probably just under a one-year deal. You've got Dee Scalfani and Homer Bailey. Whom else do the Reds think, as they look towards their future, can they depend upon to be a four and a five starter for this team? Well, you got Robert Stevenson. you got Amir Garrett. You've got Finnegan, Brandon Finnegan. Uh, hopefully Reed comes around. I mean, his stuff is just not that, to me, uh, either he's not very bright or he's just, his, his stuff hangs. He throws a lot of spinners up there. Now, he's penciled in to be a starter long term. But the Reds have, you know, with Stevenson and Amir Garrett, they have legitimate guys who could come in and play. But next year, I think you're going to have Rosario Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen certainly as viable starters for that, for that team as well. <clears throat> That's the way it was supposed to be this year. But it, it, it didn't work. So they will they will pan the plan of putting Iglesias in the bullpen for next year. I don't know. He's he's having such great success in the bullpen. He's got a two ERA, and you know I, I think he he could do either role. But you know a, a starter is much more valuable than a reliever, Dave. I don't care who it is, and I, I hope they don't make the mistake with him. They made with Chapman. Uh, Chapman should have been a starter from day one, and he'd probably be destined for the Hall of Fame right now. 
but um, they, they put him in the bullpen, and you know what happened. So with Iglesias, yesterday he, he, he got roughed up a little bit on Sunday. I, gave, I think he gave up a walk and uh, three walks and a hit. But he struck out a guy on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that uh, had movement on it. I mean, he's, he's got the stuff. He really does. And Lorenzen, he's throwing, he was throwing 97, 98 uh, the last three times he's been out regularly. Now, he's not as he's not as perfected as a pitcher yet as Iglesias is. But Lorenzen, what an arm. This guy, I mean, as he ages, uh, he's going to get bigger and stronger. He's, he's a big, strong kid already. He's, what, what 6'6"? And he, he he looks like a weightlifter. He can really throw. And so the Reds have some have some talent with those two guys, just a matter of how they're going to use them. And don't forget that Alfredo Simon was in their rotation this year. He was their number five starter uh, when the season started. So he, he's another guy that got hurt, went to the minors, and got killed when he was up with the Reds. Uh, they signed him late in the year, and uh, he just never panned out. So whoever they had penciled in for their uh, starting rotation never pitched up until May, except Simon, and he was hurt. Yeah, and that and that's a that is a big big problem that the Reds have. The Indians are running into the same problem though, Mark, because Danny Salazar is on the 15-day DL. That was retroactive to last Wednesday, just simply because he seemed to have some elbow uh, problems that they gave him an MRI on. The MRI came back okay. Uh, they gave him a shot of cortisone, and they're hoping that that takes care of problems, but. You know, when everybody starts talking about the forearm and the elbow, the first thing that pops into someone's mind is those three little initials, TSJ. That's right. Tommy John surgery. Well, you hope that, you know, that, that it's not going to be the case. It's um, It doesn't sound to me as if they were worried about that. Uh, if they were, I think they'd be, they'd be more CYA about it. Um, yeah. Especially at the trade deadline, if they if they suspected something was serious, they would have gone out there and signed another starter for sure, and they didn't. So I, I have a feeling that it's not going to be as, as serious as that. But at the same time, you have um, you have a, an organization that can win the World Series. Now there's a lot of teams that can compete, but the Cleveland Indians have a chance to win the World Series. And I think if, if there was a, a problem with him. They would have replaced it, but I, I don't think the Indians. Well, you know, based on what they did, uh, they they're going after it, and I, and I, I commend them for that. And if it doesn't work, you know, it, you, fans can't say, "Hey, they didn't try." No, I agree. You know, you're absolutely right, Mark. That that's the one thing that I'll give the Indians front office credit. I don't give them credit a lot, but this time I've got to. They went out and they did what they had to do in order to make that deal. Uh, to, make, to give this team the opportunity to be competitive in the postseason. I think they did the right thing. Even the Lucroy deal, boy, they were giving up a lot in Mejia, but they proved everybody that they were going for it. And maybe in the end, Lucroy did us a favor by not accepting the trade to the, to the Indians. You, you never know. But I do think that the Indians are in trouble. I don't think, to be honest with you, Mark, I don't think they're in any trouble of losing the division. What bothers me is is that they seem to have uh, a problem getting used to pitchers that they have not seen before. 
And that was the problem with Minnesota a couple of times. The Yankees did that over the weekend, but they made Michael Pineda look like Cy Young on Sunday. It was ridiculous how good they... But they haven't seen him all year. They always seem to have a problem with a pitcher that they have not seen for a long, long time, and that was the case with Pineda on Saturday, or on Sunday, excuse me. Mark, I want to get back to the Reds just for a second. Why is... Is there, or is there, I guess is the way I want to ask this, is there a correlation between the improved play of Joey Votto and the improved play of the Reds as of late? Well, undoubtedly. Uh, Joey Votto is in his own right now. For, for fans who don't follow the Reds that closely, uh, he is hitting well over 400, close to 500 since the All-Star break. Uh, actually, since June June 1st he began this. But what's incredible is on-base percentage is 550 or close to that. That I mean, yesterday he walked three times and hit a sacrifice fly. <laughs> He's on base, uh, and against the Cardinals, I think he had uh, seven or eight consecutive uh, hits. He was on base eight or nine consecutive times. When he gets into that zone, you can't get him out because if you pitch to him, he's going to hit the ball hard somewhere. He'll hit it to left, hit it to center, hit it to right. Uh, he, he is just—he is a fantastic hitter when he's on his on his game, and he—you know—he has a lifetime batting average. Uh, I think of what 308. I think it's a lifetime batting average or 310, something like that. But Pete, Pete, uh, people forget that Pete Rose had a 303 lifetime batting average and didn't have nearly the home runs that Joey Votto has. I mean, Joey Votto is going to probably end up with a lifetime batting average of, of 300 or better. He's probably going to hit close to 400 home runs. He's going to drive over a thousand runs in, maybe twelve hundred runs, but his on base percentage right now is is I think second all time, all time. After Ted Williams, I mean that that's how great a hitter he is, and because he's playing on a crappy team, he doesn't get the press. That I mean, if he played in New York, uh, they'd already have his bust out in center field, you know, because they would. Because think what he would do with that short right field porch. Or if he played in Boston, what he would do with the Green Monster. That's why I, I, I'm, I'll say it now, I'll say it again. I think Boston's going to sign him. I think it's a natural spot for him to go. Uh, Big Poppy's retiring. They're going to need a bat. He could DH for a long time. And, you know, he has a chance if he plays into his 40s to have close to 3,000 hits. That's how good he is. Well, let's talk about the 3,000 hit club. It grew by one. On Sunday, when Ichiro got his 3,000th career hit at the Major League Baseball level. Let's add that in now. Mark, is Ichiro a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Absolutely he is. I mean, this guy, um, he's one of the great hitters of all time. And if he had come over here seven years, you know, those seven years in the Major Leagues, he, he, would, he would probably have more hits than Pete Rose. And he's a better player than Pete Rose. I, I know fans don't want to hear that, especially in Cincinnati, but he's a much better player than Pete Rose. He is a great defensive player. In his prime, he had one of the best arms in baseball. He could run the bases. And from all occasions, he's a good guy. T- teammates seem to really like the guy, and he's he's popular with other players in the league. So I, I'm not sure what criteria you would say he does not qualify as a as a Hall of Famer. Uh, he, he's, he's been at the top of his game. I, what was it in when when he had that great year? I put he had 245 hits, 250. Yes. Hits. I mean that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. 
And, but the thing I liked about him was when he played right field, he had a cannon for an arm and uh, just kept his mouth shut and played baseball. And uh, I, I liked the guy. I, I, he'll, he'll get in the Hall of Fame. Well, the reason I ask that question is just simply because, you know, you, you see a lot of players now, the, the standard to get into the Hall of Fame for years was 3,000 hits, 300 wins, 500 home runs. Now, with everything that's going on, you know, with, with the writers putting these guys into the Hall of Fame, everything is open for judgment. Not just the play on the field, but your play, so-called play, off the field. Mark, everything is open to the writer's judgment. And that's why I asked the question. Yes, I agree that Ichiro should be a Hall of Famer, should be destined for Cooperstown. He has He's kept his nose clean, as you said. But then you you go to the case of, of Barry Bonds versus David Ortiz. Now, Barry Bonds has never been caught using steroids. Yet the writers just totally roll over and say that he has. And Mark, they'll hold it against him till hell freezes over, saying that it doesn't matter if he wasn't caught he was on top of them because his head grew twice as big as what it was when he was 32 years old. Yet David Ortiz seems to be given a free pass to Cooperstown, Mark, and yet back in the early 2000s, he was found to be taking PEDs, served his suspension, apologized to everybody, and walked away from it, and nobody ever brings it up again. What's the difference here? Because people think that Barry Bonds lied about it. Had he not lied about it or said, I didn't know I was taking something that was illegal. That's all you have to say. In but many he was cases, tested and tested and tested, Mark, and was never found to have taken them. Well, Dave, you're taking my position on this now. I know I am. I, I'm, I'm upset about this because, you know, David Ortiz is getting a free pass. And others have gotten a free pass on this. And Some have, why... some haven't, yes. But, but what we you, you, you can't prove a negative, and what what you don't know is how many players didn't get caught, were never suspected, and they took it. Well, I I, I bet you, I have no way of knowing this or proving it, but I played with enough ball players, former major league ball players, all of whom told me I probably played with twenty or twenty five former major leaguers, and all of them told me that they had some kind of PED use. They. they not to get bigger or stronger, maybe to heal an injury faster. Uh, they all took the juice. They, they used to kid about the greenies back in the day. You know, they, they were nothing more but yep. barbiturates these guys took to keep them wired to play baseball. They were in buckets in the clubhouse. That's right, and nobody said a thing about that. And that that's performance-enhancing for sure. So uh, all these things, to me, uh, I've said this from day one, I have seen, I have taken testosterone. I did it uh, because of an injury. I wanted to get bigger. I wanted to get stronger. I didn't play professional ball. It didn't matter. But it, it didn't help me hit. I got bigger. I got stronger. It didn't help me hit. I still had to put the bat on the ball. And that's, you know, I quit using them because I didn't like the side effects. I used it for a year or two. But and I didn't use them like, you know, some of the guys I know did. But... I think they're way, way overrated in terms of the impact they have on performance. And in some cases, I guess they they can you can argue, yeah, it made a, a big made a big deal out of it. But so many guys use this stuff. 
how can you pick and choose who you're going to accuse and keep them out of the Hall of Fame? I, I don't know I, how you do I, that. I agree. I, I totally agree with you 125%, Mark. But the writers are acting as judge, jury, and executioner on some of these guys. And they're just using it as their own personal vendetta machine. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. It's their vendetta. They're getting even for a guy who maybe didn't talk to him or didn't like him or smarted off to him or whatever. And you know what? The thing I wondered about is that you look at these numbers, and numbers do lie. They do lie. about they do. The importance of a player has on his team, what he gave up for his team, made him great, but maybe didn't get the headlines. And Davy Concepcion, to me, is a good example. You know, Davy... Look at the statistics for David. They're much better than, than Ozzie Smith, but Ozzie Smith is in it and David Concepcion is not. But what, you know, in the Olympics when they have the truck, the, the, what do you call it, the, uh, uh, losing, not the triathlon, the, t- that, the, deca- the, the decathlon. decathlon. Decathlon, that's it. Spit it out, Mark. But what they have there are standards, performance standards you have to hit before you're, you can win that event. You have to run up a mile so fast. You have to do a javelin, throw it so far. There are standards you hit. Maybe that would be a way that they could at least on one half of the vote say, does this guy have the standards against other Hall of Famers that make him a Hall of Famer or a potential Hall of Famer? You, you said 300 wins. Let's use that as an example. Okay, if you don't have 300 wins, does that mean you should not be in the Hall of Fame? No, you could be you could be a reliever, and so you set up something for saves. You set up something you mentioned, 500 home runs. Well, if you hit 500 home runs, does that mean you're a Hall of Famer? I think it could mean you are, but you could hit 450 home runs <clears throat> for a different kind of team, and have more impact on the guy than on the team than the guy who hit 500. There could be ways of setting a measure so these objective or subjective opinions by writers are not part of this, as you said, a personal vendetta. Because I think you're absolutely right. I think that exists. And <clears throat> there's a lot of local writers um, who didn't like Barry Bonds. I, I've, I've seen their articles in the paper. And so they're not going to vote for him. They wouldn't vote for him if he had a thousand home runs. They just wanted an excuse not to vote for him, and unfortunately, he gave it to him. Jeez. And see that—that's the stuff that bothers me, Mark. Is that you know these writers could go ahead and and vote Pete in. I, I think Ichiro is going to go in, maybe not on the first ballot, Mark, but he will eventually go into the Hall of Fame. I think Barry Bonds is going to be out. I, I think he'll end up going into the Hall of Fame, but it's going to be three or four years down the road. I don't see him with this current group of writers that are putting people in. I don't see him as being a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think he deserves it. Well, I know he deserves it. If, if you look, they said he, he did not begin using the steroids until, what, 2001 or whatever it was. This guy was a three-time MVP before that. I mean, he, he was a great player before any use of steroids or supposed use of steroids. Now, again, there's never been any proof. 
you said this earlier, there's never been any proof that he did use. There's been accusations that he used. So where do you draw the line? You, you accuse somebody of something. It's like a witch hunt. Dave, I accuse you of being a witch. Therefore, you are a witch. Burn you at the stake. I burn you at the stake. And that's what they're doing with these guys. And, uh, you know, shame on those writers. Um, it, it makes no sense that they do it, but they, they, they don't. They seem to revel in the fact that they can do it. That's what really takes me off. Yeah, I, I agree. With, you know, Roger Clemens is another one, Mark, that we hardly ever bring up, hardly ever talk about. There's not another pitcher out there right now that I think is more deserving to be in the Hall of Fame than Roger Clemens. Yeah, and this is a guy who struck out 21 hitters in a game long before there was even steroids on the uh, on the horizon. He was a Hall of Famer long before, you know, the end of his career. And um, the the arbitrary and, cap- and capricious nature of, of the writers is just galling to me. And they, they take these guys and they can ruin their careers, ruin their lives. Did some guys take... Stories, absolutely. We know they did. What we don't know are the ones who took it and got away with it. So just accept it, you know, as a a misstep by Major League Baseball. They didn't police it carefully enough. And look at the numbers and make decisions. And and that's what I wish baseball would do. All this subjectivity is really undermining the game. And the fact that Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame, we say it a million times, it, it just cheapens the Hall of Fame. It, it absolutely does. Mark, yesterday, Alex Rodriguez, as many media outlets erroneously reported that his career was coming to an end. Mark, if you go back and you listen to his press conference yesterday, there was one word that he never mentioned throughout his entire press conference yesterday. Do you know what that word was? Retirement. Retirement. He never once mentioned that. And why was that? Because he still owed about another $27 million from the New York Yankees through next year, and if he retires, he forfeits that. He is not retiring. Not at all. He is just, the matter of fact, all this is is just a, a ploy by the Yankees to get some publicity. They're going to release him on Friday. Yes, he may be a special consultant, but that's just enough to say, hey, where do we send your check? And he'll consult them as to where they want it sent to. Well, don't forget, he can play again. He, he, yes, he can. He just has to play with the Reds. He can play again. And they can't stop him. If they release him, he can do what he wants to do. So he was very careful in his choice of words, because if he did retire, you're right. He would walk out of there and not take a paycheck with him. But he's owed a bunch of money, and uh, you know he can help a team, especially well, only in the American League. Uh, he can deliver a quality at bat. If he, he if he got a series of at bats, uh, the guy could probably hit you know close to 300 and, and drive in some runs, hit some home runs for you. Uh, I bet somebody picks him up. Well, here's the thing: if you pick him up, you only have to pay him the major league minimum, That's which right. I think is 1.1 million dollars. Yeah. And you prorate that over the last month and a half of the season, so it comes out to about two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars that you've got to pay for A Rod and the Yankees pick up the rest of his contract for the year. Here's my question. The Indians are in need of a bat. in September, if you can, why not give this guy a flyer, sign him and bring him onto the team for September? 
Well, especially the fact that they, they you, hit, you have a big hole in your catching department. You do need an extra bat. Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. But I, I think another team that might make sense for him is Texas. He might go back to Texas. Uh, they could use a bat. I mean, think of the teams. In a, if you want a quality at bat, a tough out, uh, A-Rod, I, I wouldn't want to face A-Rod. I mean, he hasn't got enough playing time this year so far to, to hone his swing and his timing and all that. But this guy, again, clearly, clearly a Hall of Famer. Will he get in on the first ballot? No, he won't no. because of the steroids. But, uh, you know, he said he made a mistake. He served his time and all that stuff. But writers won't forget it. But this guy could help the Indians. He could help the Rangers. He could help anybody in contention. And, uh, you know, I think they might go for something like that. Mark, another thing that I found out over the weekend, and this goes back to the Indians, Abraham Amante was found to be using PEDs, and he was penalized by being suspended for half the season, 80 games. He set out his suspension. He's back with the team. He's contributing to the Indians. He's playing part-time, but he's contributing. Mark, I found out the other day that he's not eligible to be on the postseason roster because of his suspension. Now, to me, that seems like you're double-dipping. He's already served his suspension, Mark. Why is he not eligible for postseason play? I have no idea, other than it's just another you know slap on the wrist for these guys that uh, you're not going to make the playoffs if you get suspended for that reason. So uh, who knows? It's one of those, again, arbitrary rules nobody can really explain. It's just uh, that's the way it is. It's just one of those, those goofy situations. How is the town of Cincinnati taking the loss of Jay Bruce? Well, I think there's a lot of <clears throat> wistful thinking about Jay Bruce. I, I'm a big fan of Jay Bruce. I really am. I think he's a great guy. Uh, he carried himself with a lot of pride and respect and, and, and never you heard nothing bad about Jay Bruce. He's just a cool guy. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot of bittersweet memories about Jay to the extent that he never ended up being that superstar player that everybody wished he was and everybody thought he was going to be when he came up. Good player, yes. Uh, is he a Reds Hall of Famer? I'm not so sure. Uh, not even, I mean, certainly not a Hall of Famer statistics-wise for, for Major League Baseball, but even a Reds Hall of Famer. Uh, did he have the kind of uh, numbers that a Frank Robinson had or a, a Joe Morgan or uh, Ken Griffey Jr. even for the Reds? No, he didn't. And, uh, you know, he's had some years where he hits 215, 218, uh, inconsistent, frustrating. It seems like he had all the talent in the world. So in answer to your question, I think the Reds fans miss Jay Bruce. He was a good player. He just wasn't the great player that they thought he was going to be when they signed him when he was 19 years old out of Texas. I mean, the, the, the people literally were talking about this guy could be the next Reds Hall of Famer or a Hall of Famer from the Cincinnati Reds. He was that well thought of. And he, he hit a lot of home runs, but, boy, the strikeouts were so frustrating. And um, so, ironically, the, the player they got for him, this Herrera, um, he he's, it sounds like he's a pretty good second baseman, uh, ready to he could play now. And that brings up the, the issue about Brandon Phillips. But uh, Jay Bruce will be missed. Uh, he was, he's having a great year. I think everybody wishes the best for him in New York, but I, I doubt he's going to stay there long term. What will the 
response be to Jay when the Mets come to Cincinnati on the September 5th, 6th, and 7th, the 5th being Labor Day? What kind of a response do you think he'll get? Standing ovation. There's, there's, there's nothing to dislike about Jay Bruce. He's a good, as I said, good guy. And that's going to, that's going to win a lot of votes with Reds fans and get to the, you know, did he hit the, the, the lofty goals fans had for him? Probably not. I mean, I think his lifetime batting average is, what, 245, 250, something like that, maybe maybe a little higher, not much. But he he just never hit the numbers to, to be thought of in the same breath as Johnny Bench or Tom, Pete Rose or Tom, uh, Joe Morgan, those guys. But uh, And the Reds never won a World Series with him. Uh, which is another reason that he won't be held in that kind of high esteem. But fans, in answer to your question, I think he'll get a standing ovation. Well, I think it's the Indian fans have finally come to the conclusion that Michael Brantley is not going to be returning to the team this year. That's a sorry thing, Mark, you know, but still, his loss has really been alleviated by the fact that this team is in first place and he really has only been a part of it for four games. So it's it's almost like Brantley's been gone the entire entire year anyway, and him coming back, yes, would be a welcome sight, but him not coming back is just like you don't see him, it doesn't hurt. Do you think he'll come back at all this year? No, I don't think he'll be back at all this year. I think they're just going to shelve him and let him get ready for next year. Do you think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously, but had the Indians known that or suspected that, do you think they would have made a bigger push toward Jay Bruce? Given the year he's had, Jay Bruce is going to probably hit 40 home runs this year, drive in 125 runs, hit 260, 270. Boy, he would have fit really nicely into that Indians lineup. You know, it's it's interesting you bring it up. I don't think they would have made more of a push for Jay Bruce. I think they would have made more of a push for Todd Frazier. That's the guy I think they would have made the push for because they would have put him at third base. It would have solidified the right side of the batting order, and they could continue to plug in the guys in the outfield that they got. I don't think they ever thought that that Michael Brantley was not going to come back at some point this year, but now I think the realization is is dawning on everyone that Brantley's probably not going to be, be back. If he does come back, Mark, Let's just put it this way. If he's not back by September 1, he's not coming back at all. Well, I don't see what you see in Todd Frazier. Um, the only, only because the Indians needed a third baseman. Or yeah, so he, they thought they did. I think I saw yesterday he's hitting 213. You know, and uh, he has 30 home runs and 69 RBIs. But talk about a guy who is frustrating the fans. My gosh. I mean, he struck out so many times. Uh, yeah, he's, he's probably better than you got, but you may have been able to get, go out there and get another third baseman other than Todd Frazier. I just don't think he was the, the right uh, the right mix for Cleveland. How about the Cubs? Boy, the Cubs seem to have weathered the storm here over the last couple of weeks, and now they've opened up an 11.5 game lead over St. Louis. Yeah, well, they have a seven-game winning streak. They won nine out of ten. Uh, yeah, that, that that's a good ball club, and that's you know, I think it's good for them to go through that, to go through that blip they had. I mean, they, they lost, uh, I think they lost, what, nine of uh, 13 games, something like that. 
and it got kind of scary when St. Louis pulled within four and a half or five games. And so now, you know, St. Louis has been beaten by the Reds two out of three, and the Cubs went on their winning streak. So um, clearly they're the team to beat in the National League. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that they're the best team in the National League, maybe in Major League Baseball. And ironically, Mark, when the Cubs, or I'm sorry, when the Dodgers sent Yasiel Puig down finally last week to the minor leagues and gosh, Josh Reddick to take over the right field spot, they have really come on strong, and they're only a game behind the the Giants in the National League West now. You know, I heard last week, um, you remember right before the trade deadline, there was a deal pending with the Dodgers and the Reds with the Dodgers wanted Jay Bruce, and they were going to give the Reds a pretty good player and Puig and pick up all Puig's salary. That's how much they wanted to get rid of Puig. And, the, and here's the ironic part. The Reds said no. <laughs> That's how far his stock has fallen. I mean, I would have said yes to that deal and then traded Puig to somebody else, maybe in the offseason, and picked up what you wanted. I mean, he come in and done well for the Reds uh, and replaced Jay, you know, Jay Bruce in right field. See what he did for six months or, or, or six weeks, uh, and then do something with him. But that, that's amazing. When he first came up, was it three years ago? And he hit 375 or 380 for the second half of the year. People were saying, you know, this guy's going to be a superstar. How quickly he faded! And I remember seeing him in the in the locker room one day. Have you ever seen this guy with his shirt off? Yes. It is. He looks like he's a a defensive end in, in, on on the Cleveland Browns. This guy is unbelievably put together. He's got so much talent. He can run. He can throw. He's strong. Uh, but you always said this. He's got a million dollar body with a ten cent brain. And this guy may never ever come back to the big leagues. If he if he goes down there and screws around. And it's 2.30 in the minors because he's ticked off and, and doesn't try. I mean, Major League Baseball will soon forget you. Oh, they'll, they'll, yeah, he'll, he'll be gone. He'll be an afterthought within a year if he doesn't get his act straight. Mm-hmm. Mark, the Reds are playing tonight, uh, in St. Louis. What else do they have the rest of the week? Well, they have their Central Division, uh, foray this week. They go to St. Louis and they go to Milwaukee. And uh, so if the Reds are going to continue their – I would really like to see them finish above 500 in, in the second half, uh, which would mean the pitchers are doing well. And uh, and I really want to see Joey Votto hit over 300. And that's, that's When you are a fan of a team this far in the last place, those are the kinds of things you wish for. Which you know, I just want Joey Votto to hit 300, and I want the Reds to finish <laughs> over 500. Well, the Indians are off tonight, but they they are in Washington – Tomorrow night and Wednesday, a 4 o'clock afternoon game against Washington. And then they come home, and they will be playing the Angels this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll talk about it all again next Monday night. Mark, talk to you then. Have a good one. That'll do it for us on this Monday night with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Thanks for you for joining us here this evening. want to let you know that our football broadcast will begin coming up Two weeks from this Friday night, August 26th, as the Waynedale Golden Bears will be down near New Philadelphia to take on 
Tusky Valley. We'll bring you that game starting with Golden Bear Rewind at 6 o'clock and then the pregame show at 6.30. Jesse Kidd and I will bring you all the play-by-play action. Well, the Reds and the Indians will wind down the final six weeks, and Mark and I will be back next week to talk more about the baseball season. That'll do it for us tonight. Our thanks for Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but of course, most of all, to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9, have a good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baby.